Amen. Speaking on Heavenly Father today. Most people in this gen generation have grown up with images of television fathers. We're at an age that has been so media impacted. And some recent examples might be a little scary. I watch some of the modern depictions of fatherhood, and it does give me a little bit of pause. But perhaps one of the most common fathers of the past was a frontier father named Charles Ingalls. You remember him from a program called Little House on the Prairie. Michael Landon played the title role. His character was strong. He was very loving to his family. Struggled to earn a good, a good living for them. And as you recall, very devoted to his, to his children. And when they needed protection, he fought for them. The other father was Dr. Cliff Huxtable, the dad played by Bill Cosby. And in those years, we understood nothing of what, was what would, would happen, even up to our time. But he went through all kinds of antics with his children, and I can't say that his, his image was, a, was not a positive one. But all of his friends were on... We're on the show and they're coming, they're coming to become adults and he was, he was helping them. Cosby was very patient and char characteristically funny. And for a man with as many irons in the fire as he had, he was surprisingly available to his, to his wife and kids. And we're all aware of what's been going on and our challenges to Cosby's image. But then again, these were television dads, perhaps a projection of what fatherhood is perceived to be like or ought to be like. Their roles were scripted, and everything that was done was done to produce a happy outcome, a positive lesson that was set to an artificial environment and all of the incidents that occurred were realistic, yes, but nonetheless contrived. But how does a person create the warmth so necessary for life? If you had the misfortune of having a father who was, who was cold or distant or even absent. How do beautiful memories grow from seeds of mistreatment? See, the pre-washed images of Cosby and Engels, and quite a few, few more, are really depictions of fantasy fathers. Television is not the real world, and I trust we know that. But even if your experience with dear old dad, or that person Bernard sang about, that sometimes is called the old man, is painful to recall, there's a father that you can have who has no deficiencies whatsoever. No flaws, no bad days. He never creates a bad memory, always acts for our best interests, and has an amazing future planned for each of us. And we've sung about him just in the last song. Week after week in this church and in thousands of other churches in hundreds of languages across our world, we will say the words, Heavenly Father. And in most cases, it will, it will mark the beginning of a prayer. 
because it becomes a form of address to God. It reminds us, of, uh, reminds us of his place. And when we say that phrase, it reminds us of our future home. It speaks also of the kind of relationship that we have with God. Not some austere, distant person, but a father. It's also the theme of quite a number of current worship songs. And at the end of the message, we will sing, Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Yet how well do we relate to God as our Father? Because for some, memories of our biological father, memories of an adoptive father, memories of a stepfather, far from pleasant. Because not all fathers are created equal. And no father can ever compare to the ideal who is God. Now Jesus spoke about his father in these kinds of terms from Matthew chapter 11. Here's just one of Jesus' times of speaking about his father. All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son, and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. And then a wonderful expression. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for my souls, for your yoke is easy, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Remember, this verse was spoken in the constant in the context of Jesus talking about his relationship with his father. Now those of us who enjoyed wonderful fathers can still benefit from the added wonder of God as our father, but those who may have lived under an uncaring, indifferent, or an absent father really need God to fill a gap in our lives. Those of us, and David talked about it this morning, and. Bernard sang about it and showed us a photo. Those of us, and I'm included in that lot, those of us who've lost our fathers, this is my 30th Father's Day without him. We need the assurance of a father's love beyond our earthly father. God's presence provides this. And it's done in a unique way. John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 9, has a powerful and essential piece of truth for us all when Jesus responded to the people he was talking to and said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. I love that. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And if you want to know how God looks upon us as his children... Study how Jesus reflected his father. Study the life of Jesus and it develops into a picture of Christ. And here's another consideration. Even if you do not consider yourself good enough to be called saved or converted or part of the family of God, watch how the Gospels capture his love as he shows us the depths of a father's love. Because revelation is really what our father desires. God does not want to be hidden from your view or from my view. He wants us to see him. He doesn't want to be shrouded in mystery. And for this kind of reason, we have Jesus 
to show us the Father. John 8 has a scene that's filled with the, the stuff of religious judgment. It's filled with the stuff of social scandal. Woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Under the law of Moses, she should feel a hail of stones descend upon her until she's beaten from unconscious life and passes into death. There's no question about guilt. The witnesses have spoken. The law is the law. It is right here that fatherhood responsibilities become blended with father's love. Jesus knows the power of the offense. No one would convince me he doesn't, he doesn't know what the commandments say. But he also feels the need to exercise forgiveness and restraint. Isn't that always the problem for us as parents? We are called upon so often to punish the wrong without killing the spirit or breaking the relationship. There's also a scene cloaked in mystery, for even with the charges levied in this case and the penalty prescribed, Jesus hesitates. John tells us the story. It goes like this. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said, said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, no one is entirely sure what Jesus began to write and then finished after he asked for a sinless volunteer to begin the stoning. And neither is the question ever satisfied as to how the adultery was discovered or who the other party was. There's been so much speculation about that. Some say Jesus wrote a list of all the witnesses present and asked the witness to the adultery to step forward. To step forward. Some say the star, star witness may also have been the other guilty party and they all left rather than implicate the other person who's obviously a man. You see, the meaning is clear. Jesus does not wink at sin, but he will always seek to save the sinner rather than expend raw justice. Our Father is merciful and forgiving. But he expects us, our Father expects us to abandon the things that separate us from his love. Because redemption is what the Father does. Re revelation is so important. But redemption is what Jesus shows the picture of Father to be. Now see, the second portrait of Jesus showing the Father's heart that I want to bring to you this morning takes us into the terrifying world of a public health risk. In some cities of our world today, healthcare workers look like people handling nuclear waste or toxic agents. 
There's a form of terror which grips us when something threatens us medically. We've almost become accustomed to scenes of people wearing masks to ward off possible new epidemics that are airborne. It's not yesterday's Chernobyl nuclear meltdown or letters filled with anthrax spores or even SARS. Remember that severe acute respiratory syndrome. New threats make some exotic destinations seem a whole lot less desirous today. Travel has its own issues. In Jesus' day, leprosy had a fear factor, probably matched only by the Ebola virus or the more recent Zika virus. In Jesus' day, the appearance, the appearance of lepers sent people into near panic. Whenever lepers were in the neighborhood, they were really banned, but whenever they came near, they had to cry, on clean, on clean, and drive on infected people to safety. People didn't want to breathe the same air as lepers, and so they isolated them to little camps where a slow and lonely death awaited them. And the lepers wore little, little face veils as a reminder of their terminal condition, but more so as their total loss of identity. No matter how well-placed a leper had been, when leprosy was diagnosed, they had to, to leave everything and everyone that they loved and move away from it. Whatever they used to be, they no longer were. It's so interesting to me that Mark's gospel places Jesus into a collision course with a leper in the very first chapter. You talk about getting us ready for the one who is coming. Where is he going to be put? Where do you put God when he's needed the most? Where does fatherhood need to be exercised? And so the poor man had heard of a miracle worker who could heal with just a touch. And breaking all of the rules of engagement, this leper throws himself before Jesus and cries out for help. And Mark tells us the outcome of the story where Jesus breaks the rules of engagement. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand. Get the magnitude of this moment. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He touched the leper. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left them and he was cured. And so when you develop a picture of what God is like, revelation is there, redemption is there, but restoration is what the Father does as well. I hope you're getting a picture of what fatherhood ought to look like from the way Jesus is showing his heavenly Father. Fathers don't run and hide, they reveal themselves. Fathers don't forget people, they redeem them. Fathers don't create throwaways, they restore. See, the absence of the disease of leprosy is a wonderful miracle. But the regaining of that person's true identity is even more powerful. I hope you know today that there are thousands of people who have awakened to this morning and have no idea who they actually are. They lack any sense of acceptance by God because they feel alienated from him by sin or from a false concept of what God is like as a father. There may be people in this service this morning that can't look at God as a father. And they... Instead of a heavenly father, 
They define themselves only in earthly terms. And I want to challenge you to look differently today at yourself. Now, how would you answer the question of who you are? If I asked you that this morning, who are you? Now, let me ask the question using myself as an example, definition-wise. Well, who are you, Kelvin? I'm the firstborn son of Claude Andrews. But he passed away in 1987. Where does that leave you? Do you exist even though you lose your father? Well, yes. I'm the pastor of Cornerbrook Baptist Church. Identity. But who would you be if you were not the pastor? Would you cease to exist? On the day you retire, who will you be when you cannot say what you do? Because so many people are defined by what they do. Well, I'm Muriel's husband. I have to admit it even if she won't. But what if the day comes when she doesn't admit it? Or she forgets it at some point in time, like she could. What if she was no longer here? God forbid. Who would you be? Well, I can try a different tact. I'm the father of two sons, Wade the Elder and Stephen the Younger. But when they are grown up or moved away, which they both have, who are you then? Do you have any significance beyond your relatives? Who are you beyond the people you're related to? Well, I have to try something new. I love fishing. But what about wintertime? Well, there's always ice fishing. I love hockey. But what happens when they remove the, the ice from the Pepsi Center? Who are you then? What about when the fishing season is totally closed or there's a moratorium? Who do you become then? Very miserable is one part of the answer. Okay, go another direction. I live on Carriage Lane in Cornerbrook, but if your house burned down, would that take away your identity? Let me reach further back. I was a reach for the top champion in high school. I had really good marks. I passed my Bible college with honors. But who remembers really besides me? Who cares? Who are you really? I had my name on one trophy in the Bruce Arena in Port of Asque when the stadium burned down and my hockey career, my Hall of Fame is gone. <laughs> now what if you were to suffer from dementia or Alzheimer's disease? Who do you become if you lose all contact with your world? See, questions of identity really got into my mind in the past week. Do you see why death is so devastating? Or the encroachment of it? It chips away at our identity. Do you see how ultimately futile it is to associate only with people and activities and concepts that change with time? Your identity needs to be fixed at a much deeper level. And I will suggest to you it's to question who is your heavenly father? You see, to be a child of God, to be touched by the hand of Jesus, 
is the touch that transforms us at the most important level. To be loved by a heavenly father is to be loved with an eternal love. It is endurable beyond all endurance. It's a permanent state that promises me something at every level of existence. It promises me something in every one of the points that I mentioned to you in my whole identity. The truth is you are loved in life and you're embraced in the sleep of death. You are secure in this world and you are secure in the world to come. And the conclusion is this. There is too much to lose never to know your heavenly father. If you want utter abject failure, never know God. If you want the most ruinous state that a human being can come to, Neglect your relationship with God. But if you want the absolute best relationship, the most enduring of relationships, and the relationship that will change every other relationship that you have, get to know your Heavenly Father. And you get to know Him by understanding who Jesus is. Because Jesus brokers the whole relationship. He shows us who the Father is. You see, permanent identity is what the Father establishes. I love things that have a sense of permanence. Don't you love purchases that you only have to make once? Don't you hate it when you've got to discard something because its usefulness is gone and you've got to go find something else to replace it with? There's so little permanence in this world, but your relationship with, with God can be the can be the great one. You see, not even success is the foundation on which God will love us. God doesn't care how many accolades you earn. God doesn't care about those kinds of human achievement, things on our resumes. I know of children who've tried a lifetime to measure up to the artificial demands of their parents who stoke their own ego at the expense of children. I know people in professions their parents have paid for who have absolutely no desire to be where they are. I know others who don't know, who don't know their father even loved them and never heard the words. They were never told or shown despite their overwhelming success in many areas of life. Oh, that's such a difficult yoke to be burdened under. That must be so difficult to carry. And that's why Jesus says, come on to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. If you want some place where you can be totally at home in your own skin, it's in the presence of God. I wish time permitted me this morning. I could give you an unlimited number of in-depth phot photographs in Jesus' album of seemingly impossible circumstances where he intervened. But if you develop any image of Jesus that you can take, you will see a photo of his father. Who see, you who have seen me have seen the father. Snap a picture of Jesus stopping to listen to Bartimaeus. And you have a page from God's personal album of compassion and care on Jesus' last time to visit Jericho. This man says, I will not stop crying out for him until I see him and he comes near. 
desperation in this man's life. Shoot a scene of a thirsty woman at the well in John chapter 4, and it will develop into into the longing for God to take a checkered past and make it a clean slate when he deals with the issues of her life. Do a close-up of Jesus on the cross, talking with a thief who recognizes in the dying moments of his life his deepest need, and you have a father's willingness to take a condemned failure and welcome into an eternal home just seconds before he loses a final opportunity to make a really good choice. That's what the Gospels tell me about God. You see, doesn't Jesus have enough to do on the cross? He's carrying the sins of the world. He's got his own pain and his own suffering. Because Calvary in itself is a God-sized obstacle. But it's never bad timing to find forgiveness And God's always so open to talk about these things. He's always so interested in restoration. He's always so interested in identity. He's always so interested in in revealing himself. God's never so preoccupied that he can't see a change of heart. I've only scratched the surface on the greatness of our Heavenly Father's love. You can have a relationship with the best father... By accepting Jesus. And only by accepting him. Human families can be pretty quirky. Fathers can be erratic beings. Yours may be the best. Or you may be only able to tolerate him. In some cases you might not know him at all. Matters not. God's the ultimate father. John chapter 1, verse 11, begins a a wonderful portion of Scripture that I want to close on today. Just hear this, please. He, He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, and put your name in there in place of the pronoun. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That's where spiritual identity is established. When we receive Jesus Christ. Give Jesus to someone. And you've given them the heavenly father. Accept Jesus. And you've accepted the best father. I hope that I've made you all believe or re-believe today. Your heavenly father loves you. It's absolutely true for you. Your Heavenly Father loves you. Would you bow with me as the music team comes back to lead us in that song? Father, thank you for your, your revelation of yourself. Thank you for acceptance. 
Thank you for restoration. Thank you for giving us a great identity as your children. Thank you for the permanence of the relationship we have with you. Today, I pray that you'd speak to every heart and convince us of the fact again and assure us that we are loved by God the Father. And so we thank you today, and as we sing this song, we do so with thanksgiving in our hearts. We express the desire and the, the praise of our heart. It says, Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Thank you for sending us Jesus Christ, our Savior, and revealing what you're like. Giving us all of those wonderful portraits of how you feel about us and what lengths you are willing to go to in order to redeem us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.